Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 58 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 15th of May 2011, entitled, God, the Holy Spirit, Part 20. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 13. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with us to honor the reading of God's Holy Word, beginning in 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Our Father and our God, we thank you again, Lord, for this day that you have blessed us with, for your word that we have read from, for your Holy Spirit, Lord, who lives and dwells within us. And Father, as we now take these next moments to look into your word, we do pray, Lord. Lord, as you look upon the hearts of each one, you know the needs greater than anyone. We pray, Lord, that you would take and that you would uh, speak the words that need to be spoken here today through thy servant. We pray, Lord, that hearts would be receptive, that lives would be touched and changed for your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. In our series on contending for the faith, this is now our 58th sermon. Within that series... Since we have been focusing upon the Holy Spirit, this is now our 20th. And of that 20, this is now our ninth, relating specifically to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may fairly ask the question why so many sermons on this subject? Well, it's a good question. But first of all, I don't think that it would be amiss to say that although every doctrine of God is important, all the teachings, we were commanded not only to go out and to win them to Christ, but he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. None of God's teachings are to be taken lightly or to put aside and say, well, that one's not important or that one doesn't matter. But may I say this, that other than the doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine of salvation itself, there's probably no doctrine, no teaching of God that is of more importance, that has more impact on your daily life than the teachings concerning the Holy Spirit. Hopefully in our study thus far as we have 
looked at a number of things, including the promise, the person, the purpose, the practice, the power, and now the presentation of the Holy Spirit, I hope that some things have become clear. First, it's only through the Holy Spirit that the work of Christ, not man's, that the work of Christ can and will take place upon this earth. That's the only way. Without the Holy Spirit, Christ's work would have finished when he left. It is he that makes it possible for you and me and every other human being that will accept the offer to become a Christian, to become a child of God, because it's only through his convicting power it's only through him convincing us of the gospel message, and it's only him that then seals us until that day of eternity when the Lord comes to receive us unto himself. Without the Holy Spirit, none of that could happen. It's he that makes it possible. Just as we've just read from God's Word, you know, when you're a child, you think as a child, you act as a child. But there comes a time to grow up. <laughs> to act like a, a man or a woman, if you would. To act like a mature human being. The same is true of the church. The church had an infancy. But the church matured beyond that infancy. And the church should be acting. Not like it's a baby but like the mature body of the Lord Jesus Christ that it is. You see, it's only, only through the Holy Spirit that the Christian can grow, that the Christian can mature because it's Him that teaches us God's Word. It's Him alone that can transform our minds and our lives. It's He, the Holy Spirit, that makes it possible for the work of Christ to continue through each and every believer because though it's impossible for man in his own flesh, the Bible says nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Only by God, the Holy Spirit, working through us, as believers, will anything, I mean anything at all, be accomplished for Christ? Now, we've looked at so many things, at so many of the ways that the Holy Spirit accomplishes that work. Remember, that was his purpose beginning when Jesus Christ was going to, to send him. His purpose was to carry on the work of Jesus Christ to carry on the very thing that Jesus did when he came to this earth. We've seen so many ways how he's accomplished that, including the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the power of his presence within us, the fruit of the Spirit, and now these gifts of the Spirit. I would ask you a different question now. Is it really any surprise that Satan would seek to attack 
such a doctrine that is so foundational, that is so fundamental to our lives, should it surprise us that in the day that you and I live, that there is so much confusion, that there is so much controversy over this subject, I would put to you that the question maybe should be not why we have spent so much time there, but why haven't we spent more time? If the work of the Holy Spirit is so important in our lives, why have we not spent more of our own personal time searching and seeking to know Him and to know that work in our lives? I can assure you this. We could have spent a whole lot more time there. There's so many things. I know you think, preacher, and all that long-windedness, there's stuff that you haven't said on this subject. <laughs> there's so many things that we've just had to, to push aside to leave because there's, there's no way we could stay there for so long. But we have tried to cover it to some degree of thoroughness at least the, the foundational and the fundamental doctrines concerning this important, important matter in our lives. When we're approaching something that is so important, it should, and it's not easy to do. It should be the aim of every one of us to lay aside all of our biases of the past, to put aside the teachings of man and denomination, to put aside the experiences of others and ourselves. And I say, if it is so important, take a serious look at what God teaches on the matter. Not just a verse from here or there, because you can understand it to mean something and you can make it mean something if you're approaching it with these biases that are there already. You've heard me say to you before, we should not interpret the Scriptures based upon our thoughts, our experiences, because those things can truly be deceiving. But we should interpret everything, including our own thoughts and experiences, upon the Scriptures, the very Word of God, the only pure truth that you and I have. And I would have to say that even in my own ministry, I've had to come to some different conclusions about some different things that sometimes when, in honestly studying God's Word, what I thought was the truth wasn't really what I began to see in God's Word. All of us as Christians, we're told things, we read things, we hear things. But wherever we've heard it from, thank God that we've got good teachers. Thank God that we can have confidence in some. But I'm saying, whatever we've heard, wherever we've heard it, the thing that should drive that stake, that should really implant it within our hearts and our minds is the Word of God alone. There is no human that is beyond Failure and mistake and the ability to sincerely and genuinely 
believe something that's wrong. It should go without saying. If what we have seen from Scripture concerning the Holy Spirit is true, which certainly what we've seen in Scripture, it, it has to be, no matter what else we've heard or seen. We should have no ulterior motive whatsoever than to know the absolute truth of God in this matter. I told you, you can think it's selfish if you want, but I'm just selfish enough that in this life, in this flesh that I have to contend with, believe me, I want everything that God's got for me. I want all the help that I can get. I know me better than anybody. I know. I know I can't make it on my own. I know that nothing can be accomplished in myself. And I want everything from God that he can possibly give me that can somehow allow me to get through it a bit more like he would have me to and to accomplish what he would have me to accomplish. You see, I love dearly my brothers and sisters in Christ with whom I will have some disagreements on this subject. But I challenge you as I challenge them. Look to God's Word. Show me something else based upon the very Word of God, and I will listen. I do not. I wish that I could stand here and say, hey, I've got the answer. <laughs> You either believe what I believe or you just don't have it. <laughs> nope. But I try so hard to base what I believe upon God's Word. And I'm open to anybody that can take God's Word and show me different. And so if I disagree or if you disagree, it's not with any malice. I say look to God's Word. That's what's changed my heart and mind in some areas. And I've said this to encourage you to recognize the importance of this place that we have come to in studying the gifts of the Holy Spirit in God's Word. You see, there are a lot of areas where Satan attacks, where he gets Christians to go in all kinds of different directions even concerning this one subject, the Holy Spirit. But certainly, one of the areas that there is mass confusion and controversy, that it probably is not any greater on anything concerning the Holy Spirit, is this area where we are now. What's that, preacher? How many do you remember? <laughs> remember, on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we began by defining those gifts. And we defined gifts that were intrinsic to all humanity, regardless of whether they're Christians or lost or whatever. We define gifts that are inclusive to every believer just because you become a Christian. There are certain gifts that are yours. And all of that's important, but our attention has been drawn to these individual gifts that are given the believers that are given to the church. And concerning those, then we looked at the distribution of those gifts. 
we saw that these individual gifts to believers that they are distributed not by man that says you need this gift or that gift. This is the one you've got to have. But by God alone, by God the Holy Spirit, that they're distributed not by merit, by what you deserve because of how spiritual that you are, but according to grace that is given, the Bible says. And that they are distributed not for your good or not to make you look spiritual or not to make you anything but for the good of the body. We looked at the diversity of those gifts. Though all the gifts are for the good of the body. We saw that some gifts are given to the individual believer. And we looked at many of those gifts that are given to us in the Bible and, and, and what many of those were. We also saw that some gifts are given to the body as a whole. Then we looked at those individually and what their, their purpose was. Now we find that we're looking to this next area, which this will be our third sermon in looking at what we call the duration of the gifts. Now remember, we stated in the beginning that this was one of the areas of the greatest differences amongst God's people. The answer to this question has tremendous impact on almost everything else that we've looked at concerning the gifts of the Spirit. You see, if we agreed on everything else and yet we disagreed in this area, where we agree on what it is, but where does it start and where does it finish? When did it start? When does it stop? What's the starting point? What's the stopping point? And in looking at that, we've looked already, first of all, at some positions to be considered, the purpose of the commencement of the gifts, and the particulars of the cessation of the gifts. And it's on that matter of the cessation of the gifts, that we looked at a few things like a distinction in the apostles, a distinction in the action. But I bring us to this point that we want to focus our attention today, a deduction with an answer. The deduction. Well, if you look in the dictionary, and Carter says that a deduction is a conclusion drawn from available information. So all this that we've said about this subject, and there's no way that I can go back and cover the details, but that's why we've gone there. That's why we've looked at these things. That's why we've looked at the scriptural basis for what we've said there. In other words, it's time to answer the question. What is the duration of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Have they, are they with us now? Have they already ceased? When did they start? When will they finish? This can all be true about them, but how does it affect us right now? As we look into God's Word today, it's not really about looking at something new. But if you would, making sense of all that we've been looking at, and 
trying to put it together into some kind of a conclusion. What do we draw from these things? You see, that's the problem so many times. You can know all kinds of facts, but unless it's put together in some meaningful way, it's not going to do you any good. It's just worthless. So from all of the available information that we have, and we need to recognize the only information that we can truly count on, the only information I'm interested in basing this answer upon biblically is the information that God has made available to us in his word. What has God told us? It's not really important what man thinks, what man says. And may I say it's not even really important what man experiences, but it's important what the Bible teaches us. What can we find biblically that will give us an honest, a logical conclusion in all the information that God's given us on this matter? Now, you've got to keep in mind the many truths that we've looked at, even just these 20 sermons on this matter of the Holy Spirit. How many times have I made that comment from this pulpit, the best interpreter of God's Word is God's Word. God's Word is not open to private interpretation. No Scripture, when properly understood, will ever violate or contradict another Scripture. If it appears to, then you've read something wrong or you're understanding something wrong or you're thinking something wrong because that's impossible. That's why you can never, ever bring one verse to say something if it violates or contradicts what God has said somewhere else. God doesn't work that way. And I'll tell you this, my task becomes more and more impossible when you begin to try to compile all of this information, it's taken us 20 sermons to be able to get to where we are. There's no way that here today now I can go back and remind you of everything that we've looked at on this subject, and yet everything in all of those sermons that we've looked at, none of it can be violated that came from God's Word. None of it can contradict each other. And it's important that we look at all of it together. I can't review all of that in the bounds of one sermon and take you to verse by verse. But I can take those truths that we laid down based upon that, and I can make them clearly to you. And you can go back and you can search them out in Scripture, and you can go back to those sermons if you so desire. To come to a correct deduction, to an honest conclusion, we've got to consider all the available information that God has given us. I'm going to direct our attention today to consider the available information that we have looked at just simply on this thought of the duration of the gifts, the last two sermons, just looking at all that and doing so in light 
of everything else that God has given us on the matter that we've looked at before. What available information do we have? Well, as we look here, we begin our study on the duration of the gifts in verse 8 of our reading. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. The positions that we said that must be considered. Information available. Fact one this morning. Straight from God's Word. According to verse 8, there is no question whatsoever that there is a stopping point with the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit will come to an end at some point. And three of the most prominent gifts are used here to illustrate that truth. And we identified three possible positions taken in considering that stopping point. Some say that it's still somewhere in the future that all of the gifts are all present with us right now. Some say that they all stopped in the past and that none of the gifts of the Spirit are with us now. And others say, well, hang on. They were all there in the past. There's still some of them there, and some of them, some of them stopped before, and some of them are going to stop later because they didn't all start and stop at the same time. Well, one thing for a fact, there is a stopping point. We look next at the purpose, the purpose for the commencement of the gifts in the first place. Now, we took our attention back there, and we looked at, the three primary passages that the New Testament has concerning gifts. We can't go back and read them this morning, but in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, in Romans chapter 12, and in Ephesians chapter 4, we looked at all of those passages. Information available, fact number two. All of the gifts of the Spirit to which we have been directing our attention are clearly and specifically for the church, for the body of Christ. They're not for you or me individually. They were given for the church's benefit. That truth clearly sets some boundaries. We saw, first of all, that there's got to be a starting point and a stopping point and that there's no question of their stopping. Well, I'm saying as we looked at this, we saw that wherever it is, it has to fall within the boundaries of the church age because that's where they're used. Now, that also is in absolute perfect harmony with the doctrines when we looked at Jesus Christ and when we looked in the beginning of the teachings of the Holy Spirit that that Holy Spirit was given by Christ during this dispensation of grace or the church age, whatever you want to call it, so that the work of Christ might be carried on through every spirit-filled believer, through his body, through the church that he built. 
that he's still building. It all is in harmony, one with the other. You see, he was Jesus Christ that established his body, that established his church, himself being the chief cornerstone, choosing his apostles that he says is the foundation upon which the, the building would take place. As those men were empowered and gifted to pen most of the New Testament that we have before us and to establish those local bodies with proper order and leadership, then empowering and gifting those bodies through the Holy Spirit to continue the work of Christ until he returns to take his perfect bride to glory. We look next at the particulars of the cessation of the gifts. We saw when they were given that there was a starting point and a stopping point and that those boundaries have to be within the age of the church because that's what they were given for. What about, what does the Bible teach us about the stopping? Well, we again, we directed our attention back to verses 8 and 10 in our text here today. We sought to see just, just what it shows us there concerning this cessation that was definitely to take place. We look first at a distinction in the action. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God for verbal, plenary inspiration of His Word. Every word of God is important. Every word is from Him. Every word matters. We look closely as we looked at these verses. Available information, fact number three. The gifts of prophecy and knowledge will be acted upon and made inoperative when that which is perfect has come. The action of the verbs, the voices that it's in. In other words, those two were being shown that something outside would act upon them that would cause them to be inoperative. And it was when that which is perfect is come. Keep that in mind too. That in all of this, He's talking about children being children and growing up and being mature. Available information, fact number four. The gift of tongues would stop all by themselves. Different word of action, different voice altogether there. Prophecy and knowledge would be acted upon by something and caused to become inoperative, whereas tongues would stop, permanently cease, all of themselves, by themselves, with nothing else happening. Available information, fact number five. Though all of the gifts are within the bounds of the church age, it is clear from these verses that they all do not start and finish at the same time in the same way. It's not a set thing for all of them because God himself tells us. There's these that are going to stop at one point in one way. These are going to stop all by themselves. 
a distinction in the action that God shows us specifically in his word. We look next at a distinction in the apostles. We looked at the number of scriptures that show us clearly that there was a distinction between the apostles of Christ and the rest of his body. Jesus Christ was the chief cornerstone. These apostles were the foundation, and then the rest of us were built upon that. Available information, fact number six. During the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and after his return to glory, the apostles, a distinct group of men that he chose that were gifted with certain sign gifts to authenticate their apostleship. The scriptures teach us that. To authenticate the message that they were bringing, the authority that they brought as Christ's representatives in establishing those churches. That's fact. The Bible draws a distinction. Everybody is not an apostle these men were chosen specifically for the foundation that was laid in the beginning, he says. Available information, fact number seven. The scriptures themselves show us at least four sign gifts that were given specifically as a sign to the nation of Israel. Miracles. We find that one most of the time is the power that they had over demons. The miracle of being able to cast these devils out of others. The gift of healing, the gift of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. We saw those things. The Bible said they were given for a sign. I didn't say that. We know at least those, whatever else that they're for, that they were given as a sign. Available information, fact number eight. The signs were fulfilled at Pentecost that were a prophecy of the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, and it was there for the Jews. Joel prophesied these signs would come for the Jewish people. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible tells us this is the fulfillment of that prophecy that Joel prophesied. Available information, fact number nine. Throughout Scripture, throughout the Word of God, Miracles have never been the norm everyday thing. We look at the different periods when miracles were there. They were for distinct periods, for specific purposes, in authenticating and confirming God's Word and God's servants. It was never the norm all the way through. Keep that in mind. Fact number 10. Miracles and signs, all through Scripture, they always disappear once the need for them has been fulfilled. We, can look, we looked at a number of things. We looked right, right back to the manna from heaven, a great miracle of God. Every day that manna was given to them. But it never came, and just to show off, once that need was gone, the manna was gone. The miracle was gone. God doesn't do things for show. God's not running some kind of a fairground. God has a purpose 
And all the miracles that God performed, he performed for a purpose. When the need was gone, the miracle was gone. Always. Available information, fact number 11. The Apostle Paul, most definitely we saw, there is no question that he had the gift of healing. Yet we look later in his own writings, both in Philippians and to young Timothy, that he was no longer exercising that gift. He was giving them advice on what to do for their health problems. The same one that no doubt had the gift of healing. There was a point where he was not shown to be exercising it, but giving them medical advice to take care of the things. That's a fact of Scripture. Available information, fact number 12. At the writing of Hebrews in chapter 2, Verses 1 to 4, the New Testament still being written. And yet, the sign gifts that were used by the apostles are already spoken of there in the past tense. The past tense. Now, if we're going to come to a biblical deduction, and you see, here's the problem. Many times people take all of these biblical facts and I would challenge you to show me anything. We've looked at the Scriptures. These are just simple biblical facts. But people try to take a fact from here to prove a point here, a fact from here to prove a point here. No, you've got to look at it all. And it will never violate and contradict itself. If we're to come to a biblical deduction concerning the duration of the gifts, using the available information that we have that is reliable, which precludes what we think to be true, what we want to be true, what we experience in our lives, or anything else. But using only that which is trustworthy information that is available to us from God Himself through His Word, what conclusion can we come to? Well, you'll have to draw your own, and you'll give an answer to God. But I promised you that I would give you mine and I'd give you the reasons for it. Now, as we look at all of these things together, all of this available information, I come to these conclusions. First, I believe with all my heart, the Word of God teaches us clearly that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the church age that you and I are blessed to be a part of. And therefore, the gifts are for the church as a whole. And those church, those gifts of the Holy Spirit to that church began in general when he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost because he's the one that controls those gifts. He's the one that gives those gifts. That's why they're called the gifts of the Spirit. I believe that those gifts were given that Jesus Christ himself sent the Spirit to give those gifts to us, that throughout the body we could work together as a whole, that the body of Christ could accomplish the work of Christ. I also conclude that Christ made a clear distinction with the apostles, and those apostles were given the gift of miracles, the gift of healing. Listen 
even prior to Pentecost. They were given that gift before Pentecost. They were given that gift while they were still walking upon this earth with the Lord Jesus Christ, while Christ was with them. Yet, when Christ left to go back to the Father, he then told those same apostles to wait, to wait until Pentecost, to wait until that promise of the Spirit came, that enabling power for them to be able to continue. We can see the sign gifts upon them as they begin their ministries and carry forth from the day of Pentecost to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Well, the New Testament was still being written, but we also see some of those gifts seem to have disappeared. The same gifts that they had were not always there just because that they were once used to some degree. As those churches were established, as the apostles fulfilled the duty that God had given them as his representatives to establish those churches, as the canon of Scripture was being completed, they seemed to have disappeared. Even those canon of scriptures comes to a point of speaking of them in a past tense. Those sign gifts of the apostles. It says nothing of the other gifts, and that's where so many people try to, to throw them all away. Folks, the Bible teaches us clearly there were gifts that were signs for those apostles. Nobody else needed those gifts. Were some of those same gifts given to other people besides the apostles? Well, yes, as a matter of fact. Matter of fact, Christ also gave the gift of healing to the 70. Again, before Pentecost, before what we're talking about, the gifts of the Spirit that are given to the church in general, when he sent the 70 out two by twos, he sent them out to preach the kingdom and to heal the sick. I believe myself, and though I'm not going to fight with people over it, that's really where the church began, not on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is when it was empowered. <laughs> Jesus began building his church then. We find that they were sent out, building the church of Christ while Christ was still here. Now, folks, those were both special enablements that Christ gave to these even while he was still here upon this earth authenticating the message and the messenger that was being sent forth. These sign gifts that were present in the early church, miracles, healing, tongues, interpretation of tongues, I believe they ceased to themselves just as Scripture said that tongues would just stop by themselves. Why? Because they were there for a purpose, the sign gifts were there as a sign of the apostles. He gives us the illustration of the sign gift of tongues just stopping by itself. Why? When the job was fulfilled that it was there for. It was there as a sign to the Jews. It was there in fulfillment. And I mean, we could spend series after series after series just on the matter of tongues. But folks, the gift of languages, the gift of languages that is in the Scripture 
It was given. Does that mean that God could never give it again? I No, I'm not saying that. I will say this, that sadly, even though I love the people that do it, that most of what we see today is not even comparable to Scripture and totally violates everything the Scripture says as far as their use even when they were being used. I don't say that harshly. It's simple fact. We find that those sign gifts that were present, I believe they've stopped of themselves. When that sign, the apostle was no longer needed. Once the apostles had accomplished their work, the canon of Scripture was complete, there was no need for them. There's no evidence whatsoever of their continuance. But as a matter of fact, quite the contrary. I conclude this, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the church are still active today, though many would disagree with us, and that they will be until the church is removed and taken to glory. All gifts are not the same. I believe that some of the gifts today exist in a different fashion. They exist for a purpose, to accomplish the work of Christ, whatever is needed. Prophecy and knowledge, for example, we're told about here in Scripture. Do they still exist today? Well, I believe that yes. <laughs> I hope so. I believe that the gift of prophecy, though, that exists today is the foretelling of God's Word. It is not the same gift of prophecy that was needed during the inspiring and the writing of God's Word when that which is perfect has come. What is that perfect thing? Well, I'm going to say this. I'm concluding this. In fact, I've never read it in anybody else's commentaries or books, and they may all think I'm a heretic for it. That which is perfect. When I try to take all the available information, what is that which is perfect? Would you notice once again, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come then that which is in part shall be done away. Notice his explanation of that. Then when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I needed things when I was a child that I don't need as a grown-up. Some of those things had to be put away. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. But now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. You see, the truth is, there's all kinds of different ideas that you can read of what that perfect thing is because there is no doubt that that was what is acting upon some of these gifts and causing them to become inoperative. Well, I believe the perfect thing that acted upon the gift of prophecy in a foretelling sense was the completion of the perfect Word of God. Yes, the perfect Word of God, that which is perfect. 
But you see, what I can't really follow, as some of my brethren would, and that is fine and fair to them, is that when the perfect Word of God came, that that was what acted upon all gifts to cause them to become inoperable. There was no longer a need for a foretelling. Once God had foretold, there was no longer a needing for the foretelling, only for the foretelling. We have God's Word. God's not giving new Scripture, new things that are outside of His Word. The perfect thing to make inoperative knowledge and prophecy in the church age, I believe that Though some believe it was just God's Word, some believe that it's the millennial kingdom when it's set up. I propose this to you. I believe that most of the gifts for the church age, the ones that are still in operation when Christ returns, why would that that which is perfect has come not be the perfect bride of Christ when it's presented to Him? Why, preacher, do you say that? The Bible teaches us that it's when he calls us out of here, we'll be changed in the moment in the twinkling of a guy. We'll be presented as the spotless bride. May I ask you a question? If everything that we've seen, all the available information, if the gifts are for the church, if the operation of the church is the body of Christ and for its perfecting, what is the need for any gifts once the bride is perfected and taken out of here? So I'm saying that I believe that the Bible is teaching us and showing us some things. In the infancy, in childhood, there are things that are needed that are put away as we become old. There were things in the infancy of the church that were needed. Some of those, when that which is perfect, yes, I believe the perfect Word of God made the foretelling that God used to tell. It made it inoperative because it was no longer needed but I believe that prophecy can very much still be active in the church today in the matter of gifted to foretell God's Word, to have insight into that Word and to give it to others. So whether it is the Word of God, the perfect bride, the perfect kingdom that will be set up upon this, something is acting to make Some of them become inoperative. Some of them are stopping of themselves. Well, I can only take the available information that I have. It's my firm conclusion that from all the information that I have in God's Word, that the gifts of the Spirit, will endure for the duration of the church age in some form. And that although the distinctive gifts for the apostles in early church, particularly the Jews, ceased with them. Miracles, healing, tongues, interpretation of tongues. I believe that God will give the gifts that are needed to edify the body, to enable it to carry out His work. No individual is promised a particular gift No church is promised a particular gift or gifts, but by God's grace, the gifts will be distributed by Him as they're needed, as He sees fit for as long as they're needed. I want to make something else clear in closing. God is a God 
of miracles. God is a God that answers prayer, and he has much to say about that. God is a God that can and will and does miraculously heal when he chooses, when it's his divine will to do so. Don't ever say that this preacher doesn't believe in divine healing, that he doesn't believe in a miracle working God. But I say this, folks, contrary to the beliefs of many, God doesn't heal everybody. He didn't in Scripture. He doesn't now. God doesn't heal through the apostolic gift of healing. That ceased with them. It is not man that has the gift of healing in his hands today, but God alone has that in his hands. He tells us to come together as a body to pray one for another that it's the prayer of faith that will heal the sick. By his grace, he gloriously exercises that gift through his church for his glory, for his purpose, hallelujah. God can and does, and I've seen him do it, and he gets all the glory. But to say that man has that gift, I don't care how much you want to believe it. I don't care how sincere and all that it is. From the information that is available and what I've been given, that goes contrary to what I see in God's Word. Not because I want it to, because that's the way God designed it. For now, in this place, we as a church, we need the Holy Spirit working in our midst. We need the gifts of the Spirit working in this place. We need people that are totally, completely, 100% surrendered to God that the Holy Spirit has their lives and that he is able to accomplish his work. We can be as sincere as we want and as genuine as we want and as knowledgeable as we want and all of those things and nothing will be accomplished. The only way, the only way that Christ's work will be accomplished is him doing it in the power of the Spirit when he really has your life instead of everything else, when he really has control, when that's what's really important to you. Many Christians never even bother to try to find out what their gifting is because they're afraid it'll be something else to do. <laughs> Truth is, God wants to do a work, folks, but he's not wanting to operate a fair He's not wanting to put on a show. He is to be glorified and honored in all that takes place. We need that today. And we shouldn't be shy or fearful because on the one hand, there are those that are telling us that we ought to believe that there are no gifts anymore. And because on the other hand, we can see them abused and misused and not used as the Scripture says they ought to. That shouldn't run us away. We should stand firm upon what God's Word teaches us. It's one of the ways that He is presented in our lives, in our midst, and it'll accomplish a work that nothing else in all the world will accomplish. Father, we thank you today for the time that you've given us together. 
And Lord, as we look into your word, Father, I pray that you would help us to have a clear understanding based upon the information that's been made available to us by you, not by man, not by experiences, not by anything else, but by you. And help us, Lord, to look honestly at these things and help us to recognize you've given us the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that he's going to be presented in the church is through the gifts of the Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as your people to be filled, to be controlled, to recognize our gifts and to use them for you, for you to do a work in this place, Father. Lord, I believe that there are those that, Lord, as you reach down and as you tug at their hearts, some will respond and some will not, even here today, I'm sure. But, Lord, I pray that you would do that work, that you would help us to realize and understand just what you want to accomplish through us for your glory and for your glory alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 